the word why, what a curious word. The kind of word that can make us cringe, feel defensive, or even distant. But you know, sometimes why is the key, a key that can unlock so much to our lives. Join me as we explore the why with fascinating contributors to the world, those that entertain us, inform us, teach us about life, and if we're lucky, inspire the next in all of us. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger, and welcome to Headroom, a production of Rainlight and co-produced by Old Soul. Let's go. Well, Jensen Button, uh, great to spend some time with you today. Uh, <laughs> when I when I told some folks that I was going to be chatting with you today, I all of a sudden found that F1 around this country is just exploding because I had I had teachers from uh, Middle America that were telling me, oh my goodness, you're talking, you know, my, my husband and I are huge fans of F1. So what, what you guys are doing is incredible in this country. And I know things like Netflix is, you know, Drive to Survive have played a role. Uh, let's start with this. We're going to talk about a bunch of different things. Let's talk about your relationship currently with Williams Racing. Give a little bit of historical context and why this is important to you now as an entrepreneur. Well, Williams, first of all, gave me my opportunity back in yeah. 2000 to race in Formula One as they did to so many young drivers, um, giving them the opportunity to race in Formula One to see if they had the skills, um, if they had the minerals, as we say. <laughs> but um, it, it was such a, a lovely team to be part of, uh, the sort of family atmosphere, um, very welcoming, uh, made you feel very at home, so it gave you, gave you confidence. Uh, so I was very thankful for that. And when the team asked me a couple of years ago if I wanted to be involved with them again on an ambassador side, um, I was actually as a senior advisor initially, uh, I was like, yeah, definitely. You know, I, I could really see where the team was going. Um, they had new ownership at that point. Uh, they had the funding to develop the team into something great again. Uh, and they, they were employing the right people. You know, they had a great um, base of people working in the team that had been there for years but i think they needed a bit of fresh blood to bring in and they did just that so the the atmosphere in the team is is fantastic you know you can really feel uh there's good vibes um and they've put everything in place to develop this team into a front-running team it just takes time in this sport you know for example uh, if you want to talk about a wind tunnel to develop a wind tunnel into something that's good enough to win races it takes a couple of years so um, everything is in place, but uh, it, it just takes time. And and I really wanted to be part of this team and their progress back to uh, progression back to the front um, because I feel that I kind of owe them something in return for giving me my opportunity in in Formula One. Um, and and I've always been a, a fan of the team and a friend of the team. Um, the late Sir Frank Williams, who was the owner, um, we were we were very good friends through the years and. Uh, um, I, I felt that it was a, a nice thing to do to, to be part of this team again. And, and, and you know, I have a lot of uh, experience in Formula One and, and, you know, I can do my small part, which will hopefully help the team in the future. Talk about, Jensen, the transformation that you've either felt or you're going through when you're an athlete and then you transform, you're sort of transitioning um, from, you know, from behind the wheel in that manner to the business side of it, right? Where it can feel very different. And whether I talk to a football player or a baseball player, or now a Formula One racer, 
it does feel like there's a commonality in some of those challenges where you might have felt comfortable in one area of what you did. Now you're in a to- you're like a fish out of water sometimes. What has that been like? Take me behind the scenes. Is this a conversation that you have with your wife at home? You start talking about things and where you're starting to feel more comfortable and or the things that maybe are less comfortable that you didn't even anticipate. What has that transition been like for you? It's a, it's a great question. Um, I think a lot of sportsmen, the elite sportsmen, when they retire from their sport, they struggle um, to really have a purpose and direction in life um, because they're, they've been at the pinnacle for so many years and suddenly they're, they're searching for something that gives them that same energy as, as fighting for wins um, in, for, for me, fighting for wins in, in motorsport. So I left the sport in 2016 uh, because I loved F1, but I think it doesn't matter how good a job is, it's nice to try something new. So I wanted to leave. I wanted to race elsewhere around the world, which I did. I raced in Japan. I raced in Le Mans, which is great fun. Um, but I needed something else in my, my life that I could see a future for myself. Um, I enjoyed the TV stuff I was doing. Uh, with Sky Sports F1, but again, I would get nervous. Um, people said, oh, you, you look so natural. It's like, I don't feel natural. And I, <laughs> I used to say to my wife, I'm like, I'm, I'm doing the post-race interviews with the drivers. Uh, I was like, I know what to ask them because I've been in their position, but I'm, I'm kind of nervous about it, a bit apprehensive. She said, "What? what's the worst that can happen? And when she said that, I was like, yeah, you're right. You're right, actually, <laughs> what is the worst that can happen? You know, I could get a question wrong or something, but uh, I was like, yeah, I mean, the pressures I've put myself under in my whole career, this is nothing in comparison. So um, she's been very supportive in, in all my roles and, and whether it's the TV stuff, uh, whether it's being an ambassador for, for, for Williams or it's building a car brand, which I've been doing. So, um, or starting a whiskey company. So there's, there's, there's a lot of different things going on. And I'm very lucky I'm in a position where I can work with such fantastic companies, brands, I can partner with um, people. And, and for me to work with someone, you know, a company like Williams, uh, I'm very passionate about that partnership. And uh, I need that in my life, you know, to, to see something grow and know that I've had a tiny part in, in helping that, that company grow. You were so young as a racer and accomplished great feats, uh, the likes that only, you know, the not even 1% achieve in, in your sport in that regard. Do you think that that played a role in your timing of retiring in 2016? Because you've been doing it for, I mean, you're still a very young man, but you've been doing it for a very long time. And it, with that as the backdrop, Jensen, do you feel like you've had sort of this entrepreneurial spirit? from day one, I mean, even though racing was sort of the vehicle, no pun intended, that it does mirror a lot of what you're doing because you are involved in so many sort of projects and companies right now. You talked about whiskey and all these other things. I'm wondering if there are some parallels there and if that had been there all the time, or if this has just been something that's revealed over just the last couple of years. Well, when I was racing, it was, it was just about racing. It was, for me, it was, um, it was living in the moment, you know, doing something that I dreamt of as a kid. Um, and my career in F1 was so long um, that it got to the point where, as I said, it was just, I'd had enough of traveling. Sounds mad because everyone would be like, this is the dream, right? Traveling around the world, <laughs> racing for one cars. But at some point it gets too much. 
and you you want to sort of have a base. You know, I lived in an apartment in Monaco, an apartment in Monaco, two-bed apartment, and I wanted to have a house. I wanted to have a garden. I wanted to have dogs, and I couldn't do that. You mean you wanted to be like normal in that way? <laughs> exactly. I wanted to be normal. And people say that when you leave Formula One, you leave the same age as when you arrived as a driver because everything is done for you in the sport. You just go there on a race weekend and you drive a racing car and everything around you is controlled and looked after. So paying my bills was looked after. Ordering food for me at the circuit was looked after by my physio and, and the set time of when to eat, the set time of when to get a mat. A mat uh, massage from him, the reaction work would do, the, the meetings, he would tell me the meetings happening now and everything so that you could just focus on the driving element of, of, of my job. Um, so it is kind of weird. And then you leave from Rwanda and uh, it's like, oh, this is, this is the real world. You know, I've, <laughs> I've got to learn how to pay bills and, and this and that. And wow, my car didn't just end up being clean. I had to actually organize someone to clean it or clean it myself. And uh, it's it's a reality check, definitely leaving Formula One. But one that I've loved, I've loved the process. And, you know, I, I have really enjoyed finding things outside of driving that I'm, I'm, I'm good at. Um, I get back to talk about Radford Coach Building Company. Uh, I work with some fantastic people and we um, work with manufacturers to build limited edition cars. So we get given a chassis, for example, and an engine, and we develop this beautiful carbon fiber body on top, obviously work the suspension and everything. And we've developed this car, which is absolutely stunning. It's got a Type 62 based on an old Lotus. Uh, and to be involved in that design side of it, aspect of it, but also to be involved in the driving and the setup of the car, is that's the area I'm very good. Um, but um, working with other people, um, side by side with other people that are very good at what they do, is it, it's just eye-opening. I, I love working with the talented people that I have around me. And these guys are, you know, they're hard workers as well. They're working seriously from 7 a.m. To, to 10 p.m. at night, trying to get this startup off the ground. Because uh, it is a startup and, you know, I think it's 3% of, or even less than that of startups actually work. Um, so we've had our, had our difficult moments, um, but because of the people I work with and how passionate they are about it, we've been able to keep our head above water and um, we are producing our first production car, which will be in July this year. So Congratulations. Very exciting. On top of all the other stuff that I've got going <laughs> on, which is, which is less pressure, but equally as exciting, the TV stuff, working with, with Williams and seeing their progression um, throughout the season. So. Yeah, it's it's a busy time, but uh, uh, I wouldn't have it any other way. I'm I'm so lucky to to work with great people and to to be working on some really exciting projects. The whiskey, Coachbuilt whiskey, which is blended whiskey um, from Scotland. Um, again, I'm working with a whiskey connoisseur on that. He's my partner in the business. He knows that business so well. Sometimes when you put a a well-known name with a brand, it, it kind of doesn't work because you've taken the easy route and gone for something that isn't high quality, hoping that your name sells it. For me, it was the other way around. I only wanted to work with a whiskey that was amazing. And the only way to do that was to work with a whiskey connoisseur, a whiskey expert. Um, and that's what I've done. So uh, we've produced something very special. As an entrepreneur, when is it advantageous that you are a Formula One champion? And when is it a disadvantage in business? Uh, I don't think it's ever a disadvantage. I think the only thing is, 
perception. Um, for example, producing a product, people immediately think, well, he's just producing this product because he thinks it's going to sell and make lots of money. Uh, not that it's a good product, uh, but I only want to associate myself with something that's great. Um, and whether it's myself that's helped it become great or the people I work with, it doesn't matter. Um, you know, the whiskey is out of this world for the price point that it's in. Uh, so yes, I'm, I'm lucky that I get to work with great people. Um, the car business, again, uh, I work with entrepreneurs in the car business that have, uh, actually a lot of them are British. A lot of the people I work with are British still, uh, even though I'm here in the States. Um, but, um, it's like-minded people that, um, that are enjoying the journey. You know, it's the journey. I always say the journey is the reward and it is, it's, uh, there's no point just looking forward to that end point because when it comes, sometimes it's not as good as what you think. It's the journey of getting there. That's the most exciting thing. I'm glad you brought that up. So I'm curious. So, I mean, look, racing, what a fantastic uh, sort of background in a conversation like this, because in a race, you've got a finish line. But when you're an entrepreneur, it can be very hard to know where that finish line is. How have you sort of recalibrated your understanding of success personally and with the people that you work with? Because it's not, you can't just open up the paper or turn on the TV and say, look, I won that race or I'm here I am in the standings. It's very, very different. One day you can feel success. And then the next day you find out the deal fell through or a better deal came, uh, came up. So how do you recalibrate that? And how has your relationship with success changed now that you are not on the course like you were? Yeah. For, for me with Formula One, it was a strange one because since the age of sort of six to when I won the world championship, the aim was to win the world championship in Formula One. Uh, I eventually did that in 2009. Um, I remember crossing the line in Brazil, finished fifth in that race, but it, it meant that I clinched the world championship. And celebrating with my loved ones, my dad was there, my best friends with the team. It's such a special moment. And then I went back to the hotel, got showered, headed out to the party with the mechanics and everything. I went around, shook everyone's hand, said thank you very much for all your work. And I left after like 20 minutes, went back to my hotel room and I just sat in my hotel room on my own. And it was, it was the strangest feeling because it was more of a relief to win the world championship because I've worked so hard for, for 23 years to achieve my goal. I just sat there thinking about all my life experiences to that point, um, sacrifices as a kid, seeing my mates, um, I was away racing and, uh, and all I went through. And it put a smile on my face, obviously got very emotional. And then I was like, what happens now? You know, I didn't plan on what happens after I re reach my goal. And I don't think anyone ever does. And it was kind of a weird feeling. I didn't know um, what, what the future held for me. And, and uh, that, at that moment, I was like, I need a new challenge. I, I can't stay with the same team and fight for the championship again. So I moved to another team. And I went up alongside Lewis Hamilton, who's a seven-time world champion now. <laughs> and a lot of people said I was mad. Um, but again, I needed that challenge to something after winning a world championship. I needed something else um, because you don't plan on what happens after. And I think a lot of athletes really struggle with that mentally of, of what their future holds now. I was 29 and I'd reached my lifetime goal of winning a world championship. So it took me a while to, to get my head around what the future held for me. And, um, you know, for, for me, after Formula One, that's very different. 
I don't have that same mentality. For me, the future, I want, I want, for example, Radford to succeed. And what does that mean? Does that mean making hundreds of millions of dollars, billions of dollars or what? I mean, if it makes money, that's great. For me, what is achievement is making clients happy, having customers go, guys, you've, you've done something very special here. And hearing that from our customers is way more valuable to me than money in the bank, uh, because I, I feel I've actually achieved something that will be around forever, you know, um, and that's, that's what really means a lot to me. Headroom is produced by Old Soul, a one-stop marketing agency that understands the power of brand and nuance. Reach out to my guy, Matt, at Old Soul and supercharge your brand and content strategy. That's Old Soul. Shoot Matt a note at aoldsoul.com. That's A-O-L-D-S-O-U-L.com. And now back to our guest. So you and I both have two young kids. So when you think about, and you've reached a level of success, like we talked about that, you know, people see sort of in the movies, it doesn't feel as, as a, attainable or that they can touch and feel that in that regard. And whenever I've talked to people who have reached a certain level of success, they do think in the back of their mind about how they conceptualize it, how they think about it as a parent for their kids and that that can sometimes change the path that they're on because they do want to carve a new path, have a new branch sort of grow uh, and sprout from a tree. How do you think about it? Because it's not just you anymore, right? This is not just <laughs> you, you know, when you were a teenager, now you've got, you've got a family. And so how does what you're doing now and all these entrepreneurial projects impact the way in which you talk about it, the way you think about it, the way you live and breathe it? I, um, I grew up in the countryside um, all the way through my youth. I lived in a village um, that had a handful of houses. So I live very different to the way I live now. I live in Hollywood. Well, I don't live in Hollywood. I live in Bel Air. Um, and my wife was from the suburbs of Roseville. And, uh, you know, I think had a great upbringing living on a, a cul-de-sac where kids would play and what have you. And we now live in a place where we have a lovely house, we have a swimming pool, we have a lovely garden, and we live in a place that just doesn't seem like reality. <laughs> and for me, I the important thing for me is with my kids is that they grow up and have the same upbringing that I had, that they see what's truly important in life, and um, that flying on private jets to Hawaii on holidays is not normal. Um, that is you know, that they understand the, the worth of, of money, um, but they understand the, the importance of being a good human being. And I think that's, that's what's key for me is that our kids are good human beings. If they're successful in life and work, great, but that's not something I would personally push. I think if they're good human beings, that's, that means job done from mom and dad. Uh, and that's, that's the aim for me. Um, I think if they're well-educated, uh, and uh, they have a good father and a good mother that care for them, um, they will find a direction that is right for them, whether that's a nurse or, uh, or whether that's um, a racing driver or, or what. <laughs> um, they will find their own direction. I'm not going to push them in, in any direction either. Uh, if our son or our daughter want to race cars, I'll help them, but I'm not going to push them into it either. Let, let's talk about entrepreneurs sort of writ large. Um, when you think about, I think what's interesting about you would be 
you probably have more things that come to you than less when it comes to opportunities. Some are for the right reasons. And sometimes probably there are people out there that say, look, if I can get attached to, you know, Jensen Button, Formula One world champion, then that's going to really help my product, et cetera, et cetera, right? I think that's probably just the reality of the world that you live in business. When we think about advice for entrepreneurs, let's talk about how you evaluate an opportunity because you do bring a very interesting perspective between, I'm not going to say it's the BS meter, right? But if I'm you, I want to make sure that that meter is really strong so that you can sort of sift through the quality versus, you know, not being a very quality um, driven product. So talk about how you evaluate opportunities with the lens of providing advice for entrepreneurs. Well, uh, I, you're right. I do get quite a lot of offers to do things, but for me, I need to be involved in something. I can't just put my name to something and go, look, I'm, I'm basically just selling something for a brand and getting cash in my pocket. I, I want to be involved with a brand, you know, um, being, for example, being involved with, with, with Williams, with the team, hanging out with the drivers and, uh, and the team members, uh, with, with coach building, with Radford. Again, I need to have involvement in it to know that it's, it's good enough to, to attach my name to it. Um, I work with clothing brands. I work with uh, a clothing brand in the UK. And again, I, I want to be involved with the design aspect of it and make sure that the clothing actually is what I like to wear. Um, I'm not going to sell something that doesn't work for me and it isn't me as a, as a person. Um, so yeah, it's very different because I, I obviously get more opportunities than most. Um, but in business, it's you go through some very difficult times and you don't always hire the right people. Um, and I think it's understanding that and sometimes it just doesn't work out, but it's, it's realizing the right time to just walk away from, from people that you do business with and understanding that it's not always going to be right. It feels, might feel right straight away, but after a few months or years, never be afraid to walk away from a situation. Um, but I've been very lucky that, uh, I've, I've, I've understood my business partners from an early, very early on in our relationship of what they're in it for. Um, and they have to be in it for the same reasons as me to build an exciting brand that uh, we're really proud of. And, and if you if you can do that, the business will normally do well anyway. Um, we don't look for the end goal of if we sell this in five years, we're going to make X amount of money. I know that's the business plan that every business should have. But for me, it's uh, it has to be I have to be emotionally involved in it. What would you say, is there one or a series of lessons, hard lessons that you had to learn as an entrepreneur that you just, I mean, you went in with the best of intentions, but my goodness, you're not going to make that mistake again. Would you, is there a way to describe that without giving sort of the particulars in challenges? And unless you've just been batting a thousand here, now we're bringing a baseball <laughs> analogy. <laughs> I would guess um, maybe that there were a couple of challenges along the way. Yeah, I think, um, I'm in a lucky position that I've had the funds to put into businesses when they've not been doing well. So no, I am, I am lucky in, in, in that respect. So I've, I've had to put more money into businesses than I thought I would. Um, but it's, it's being brave enough and, and having a, um, a belief in it enough, I guess, to, to do that because it's my own money going in. It's not just putting my name to something. Um, so yeah, that's when you get, properly involved with the business when you've actually got skin in the game. <laughs> and that's, uh, that's for me, the big drive when I've got skin in the game, it's like, okay, right. Now we've got to knuckle down. This has to work. Um, 
but I've definitely put more in the, in some businesses than I would have liked to, but I will see it work out in the end. I hope. <laughs> now, is that your general rule just to get involved is that you do want to have skin in the game beyond just your name and that you're participating in the decisions that you want to invest? Is that sort of your... Yeah, and I want. I also want people to think that, you know, that I actually want to get involved because I believe in something. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's really important, and it's going back to putting your name to something. You know, there's a lot of alcohol brands out there that have celebrity endorsements. It's like, well, of course they have celebrity endorsements. They're paid to say it's good. I mean, they're not going to say it's average, are they? So, it's 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 a tricky one uh, putting my name to something. And I think when the whiskey came out, a lot of people were probably like, well, I'm just getting paid to say that. I'm not getting paid. You know, I'm putting money into this because I think it's the right thing to do. And I think it's it's something that's very special. Um, so yes, I, I do need to be, that's why I was saying I need to be involved with the product for people to really understand that I believe in it rather than just put my name to it because I'm earning from it. If If you put 23 years as being an entrepreneur, right? And you and I are chatting again, are you known as a CEO? Are you known, like, what are you known at, at that juncture, if you think about it, if you're able to put 23 years into this kind of life where you can manage multiple brands and projects that you can put your, you know, sweat equity into and money and invest in, how, how do you think that conversation will go? I mean, what is the, what is the next for you? Because you're a competitive guy. I don't think that I'm not making a, a wild assumption there. And so what do you think that does after 23 years of really learning the ropes? Yeah, I, I, um, I really don't know what the future holds. And in, in 10, 15, 20 years, I, I don't know where I'm going to be. Uh, I know that I'm going to have kids that are going to be leaving home because that's a fact. <laughs> uh, but apart from that, I have no idea where I'm going to be. And that's exciting. And I, I don't want to plan that far ahead. Um, you know, I'm, I'm enjoying the journey at the moment. This is, this is such a fun place for me to be in life. I must say, after I left Formula One for two years, I really struggled. You did. Because I, I had no direction and I had, I had, you know, I was doing some work here and there, which was great, but nothing I could see that would really, I could sink my teeth into for the future. Uh, and now I have that with a couple of companies and uh, that's what, you know, even though it's tough and, and it's lots of hours and, and time away from home, I know that there's something there for the future. But 10, 15 years down the road, I have no idea where I'm going to be. And I'm not afraid of that because I feel that, um, the things I'm involved with and how much I've learned uh, will definitely help me 10, 15 years down the road. That two-year window, did you? was it just ha- a series of happy accidents that got you onto a path of sort of purpose? Or did you? was there a key moment that got you onto that track? Uh, I mean, I was working in TV, which was great, you know, and I, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, I had a couple of other... Um, companies that I was an ambassador for, which is fantastic. But there wasn't a business that I really could sink my teeth into. And that came about with Radford. And uh, funnily enough, I actually almost turned the opportunity down because I, my partner in it at Anstead, um, he, he came to me and said, I've got this great opportunity if you're willing to be involved, but we need you involved. I was like, okay. I said, I'm really sorry, but I'm so busy right now. And I got home, spoke to my wife, who was my girlfriend then. She said, why don't you just hear him out? You know, Ant is always full of it. He's got great ideas. <laughs> and we sat down, discussed it, and said, you know, this, this can only work if we work with OEMs and manufacturers and this and that. 
Um, we have two lined up and the first one's Lotus. It's like, wow, okay, yes. Um, this is interesting, but is, there's a lot that needs to work for this to, you know, to, 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 to work in the future. You know, there's a lot of people we need to get on board um, to, to make this happen. And it all sounded great initially. It sounded so easy, but it never is. Um, there's never the funding you hope for. The personnel, <laughs> it's very difficult to find that are, are good enough, that we thought were good enough. So there's a lot of challenges in there, but um, knowing that my partners in the business had the same passion for it, that, that's what kept it alive. It would have been easy at points to turn around and go, this isn't going to work. This is going to cost too much money, too much risk. But because of that passion and that love for the project, it's, it's the only reason why it's kept going. I'm, I'm glad you asked about, or you mentioned risk. Let's do this as a last sort of wrap up here, Jensen. So what is your advice when it comes to risk tolerance? Because if there's ever a place to understand your own ability as a human being to tolerate risk, it's to jump into the entrepreneurial pool. <laughs> um, what advice do you have for the young entrepreneur that is just not sure? They haven't been maybe, they haven't, it hasn't been percolating through competitive sport in that regard. And they wonder if they can survive in a world where my hunches, your kids, my kids, the kids down the street, they're all going to be thinking as entrepreneurs as they grow up. And so it's going to change the way in which we think about supporting and understanding risk in our own lives. So what advice would you give for people when it comes to risk tolerance? I'm not sure I'm the best person to ask being a Formula One driver. <laughs> <laughs> I'd see, I think you're the best person to ask in that way because you've been willing to put your physical body right in harm's yeah. way, some would say. I'm sure there are plenty of moms out there saying to their, their kids, you're not going to be racing cars, <laughs> right? In that regard, they'd be nervous. Yeah. But you, to me, you're the perfect guy because you've done that. So how does that equate and how should we understand how to tolerate, manage, and then execute against that risk? It's quite funny because when I when I raced in Formula One, you know you know the dangers there. Um, there's risk, but it's in the back of your mind. You don't you don't really think about it. I mean, you go through a high speed corner and you push to where you think the limit is because you know if you go over it, it could hurt if you hit the barriers. Um, but it's not in the forefront of your mind. It's it's in the, it's in the back, and I think you've pushed it there for a reason because you, you have to as a racing driver. Um, I would say I've been more scared after Formula One getting into business has been scarier for me, um, totally. One, because it's probably something that I'm not in control of fully. Uh, and I was a control freak and every racing driver is. So suddenly you're at it, you're, you're not completely in control and that's, that's tricky. Um, but that also um, sort of breeds adrenaline and excitement as well. Uh, I think not jumping at the first thing you think is a great opportunity really understanding it and uh, uh and doing your homework you know i've i've fallen foul of, of jumping into something that sounds fantastic but uh, not doing my homework and just believing it will be great so doing your homework is key and understanding the sort of people that you're in business with and what they're looking at getting out of it um is is also really important well, thank you, Jensen, uh, for a great conversation. Uh, I think I've got everything that I need, um, but it's been a pleasure to get to know sort of you behind the scenes, and I wish you all the best in uh, your future endeavors. Thank you very much. Thanks, Jensen. Have a great day. I know today's a media day for you, so drink a lot of water. <laughs> <laughs> I will. Thanks for taking the plunge into Headroom, where we uncover the why behind the what and who impacting our lives. Headroom is a production of Rainlight and co-produced by our friends at Old Soul. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger, and this is Headroom.